everyone, welcome to today's edition of the Oluswaga Experience. My name is Olu Badmos. Today, we'll be talking about the issue of Muslim immigrants and Western countries. I will start today's edition with these words. Please, don't come. It is risky to come. We can't guarantee that you'll be accepted. I think we have a right to decide that we do not want a large number of Muslim people in our country. We Hungarians are full of fear. People in Europe are full of fear because they see that the European leaders, among them the prime ministers, are not able to control the situation. End of quote. Those were the words of Victor Orban, Hungary's prime minister, as he addressed journalists at the European Union headquarters in Brussels on September 12, 2015. At that time, in the history of Europe and Middle East, the immigration crisis was at its peak. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of desperate immigrants from the Middle East, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and some parts of Africa and South America were making perilous journeys across the North African desert and the Mediterranean Sea to reach Europe and possibly North America, if they could push their logs that far. Indeed, the number of people who have perished on that route would probably never be known. Between 2014 and January 2017, when President Donald Trump took office as the 45th Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces, BBC recorded that the EU region alone had taken in almost 2 million refugees into their borders, while millions of many others remain or was sent back to Turkey as part of some political and economic deals. Turkey alone would hold over 4 million Syrian refugees, among whom are those who have not hidden their pensions to take any available opportunity to escape, quote-unquote, to Europe, where life is apparently freer, better, rosier, and full of opportunities. Germany, France, Italy, Greece, and UK are the top five EU countries who have taken in these numbers of immigrants graciously or grudgingly. It is so hard to tell. One curious thing about these five countries is that since 2014, since the immigration crisis assumed an exponential dimension, a wave of nationalism has seriously swept through these countries, sometimes with tsunami-level gusto, displacing well-established pro-EU governments and political parties. Those parties and their political leaders who survived such epic routing and turbulence have had their popularity reduced and are barely clinging to power and influence with the tiniest shred of residual goodwill. EU skeptics and radical anti-EU politicians and activists found a rallying point in collective anti-immigrant rhetorics and sing-songs. Buoyed by the sophisticated terrorism propaganda and fear-mongering of the Islamic states of Syria and Levant, ISIL, otherwise known as Daesh, the time for Islamophobia as symbolized by the massive opposition to the inflow of Muslim immigrants from all other parts of the world into Europe and America could have been brighter or more ripened. Any casual observer along the annals of history would tell you that fear is the most potent weapon of mind control and mass compliance. Professor Ian Buruma of the Bard College, New York, in an article published in the Globe and Mail newspaper, analyzed how from time to time 
prominent political leaders, retrospectively seen as master demagogues, such as Adolf Hitler and Donald Trump, have successfully, to a state of art, used fear of the others to drive public support for their own personal ambitions. We respond to fear because it is a basic instinct of self-preservation. These fears are even more pronounced among the privileged who see their enviable place and positions in the wrong of humanity as a constant target for those below them. From the Jews shall not replace us chants of the early 20th century Europe to the Muslims shall not replace us of the 21st century America, the cry remains the same, just with different subjects. Attribution theory tells us that when we think something is wrong, we look for another thing or person to attribute it to. Blame game is a coping mechanism for us all. Euroskeptics and Islamophobes within Europe well understood the sentiments of the game and they did a good job to stoke the fears among EU citizens, even EU Muslims. They successfully upturned the family interest to pro-EU ideologies that had for some decades appeared to be infallible, as evident by how well Brussels seems to have been able to find amicable solutions to every national question amongst its members in the past but being severely threatened at its weakest seams. In Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel's long-established frame group of the German coalition government was shaken when her party, the Christian Democrat, CDU, was disastrously trounced in the 2018 regional elections of Hesse and Bavaria, places that had hitherto be seen as her strongholds. Europe is just never the same again. German media reported that her fortunes and that of her party nosedived, quote, since our decision to keep Germany's border open at the height of Europe migrant crisis in 2015, the subsequent arrival of more than a million asylum seekers left the country deeply polarized and fueled the rise of far right, end of quote. In Italy, nothing could have showcased the rise of nationalism and bare-faced populism and the people's impatience with Brussels more than the rise of Matteo Salvini, a far-right, eurosceptic, and leader of Italy's Northern League. Salvini has been, however, disgraced out of contention in Italian politics when his power grab attempt backfired in August 2019, sending him into the cold political oblivion of Northern Italy. Pro-EU elements lost the Brexit battle to the Leavers in UK during the 2016 referendum, a sharp contrast to the 2014 anti-nationalism win in the Scottish independence referendum. A few years before that, Anders Bering Breivik claimed to have jotted consciousness of Norway, the EU, and the world to the cultural usurpation of Europe embodied by increasing Muslim immigrant population across the continent by killing 77 people in Oslo and Etia Camp Island. Several mindless incidents abound in different places across the Western world, all fueled by nationalism. The story of the relationships between immigrants and local population was and is not always that of hostility and animosity. Some sections of the media have reported enormous show of warmth and acceptance by many local communities who continue to welcome settlers of all skin colors and religious shades with open hands and hearts in numerous ways that keep rekindling the dying flicker of hope in our collective humanity. The political turmoil of that crisis, as well as its present reverberations, 
makes one wonder why Muslim immigrants who have reported increasing discrimination and outright attacks in Europe and other Western countries continue to aspire to reach and become part of Europe. On the surface, their conservative beliefs and their lifestyle seems to be in perpetual conflict with the very secular and godless foundations upon which these democratic societies are built. In fact, the very sustenance of economic prosperity, political empowerment, and technological advancement that the immigrants aspire to enjoy and contribute to seems to contradict the cultural and the religious leanings of Islam, or so it seems. That foundation is called freedom, both on an individual and social scales. Some enlightened political agitators refer to this as liberty. For instance, homosexuality and same-sex marriage, nudity and alcohol consumption, and many other forms of civil rights and constitutionally protected expressions of personal liberty guaranteed by Western democracies. These rights, however, are not recognized or protected in Islamic tenets, democracies, and governance around the world. Such tendencies are even punished in some instances. At the risk of sounding overly apologetic about these issues, one can draw a causal relationship between the economic and technological exploits of developed countries and the liberties enjoyed by the citizens therein. Liberty allows and promotes citizens' aspirations and contribution to the scientific, political, and economic exploit in a way that stimulates healthy competition for the greater good. On the surface, the reasons suggested by Islamophobic and nationalist conspiracy theorists appear to suffix. They are here to they are here either to cause bloodshed because they hate us, or it is all a part of the grand plan to dilute and replace white supremacy with some substandard race that is bereft of the glorious qualities of the Caucasians. In fact, the latter is the favorite excuses of hate groups such as Nazis, Altrites, and other white supremacists across Europe and America. However, taking a deeper look beyond this puerile, scaremongering battle cry. The curious question, therefore, is to ask what motivates immigrants from Muslim communities to choose Western democracies that seems not only to be at odds with their religious and cultural sensitivities, but also seems to be actively promoting such acts and practices which would ordinarily expect it to be considered haram, that is, sacrilege. I think what primarily motivates Muslim immigrants to want to live and settle in Western civilization is exactly what motivates the rest of us. Liberty with peace. We basically all want to live in a peaceful economic prosperity. Unfortunately, Islamic governance in recent times across the world has not proven to be able to guarantee such and people will naturally go to places where they can find peace and liberty. Mention any country that still observes conservative theocracy and see how they all surely reflect economic and educational discrimination, ethnic struggle for domination, weaponization of poverty, suppression of women's rights and alienation of foreigners, with the notable exception of the UAE and Qatar, who have consciously loosened up their otherwise typical Sharia codes. Citizens of many other Islamic countries continue to realize that religious piety, adherence, and the promised economic prosperity attached to Shunnah, that is, the way of the Prophet, are not automatic, nor does one lead to the other. 
As a result, the yearnings for a better life keep piling more and more with the younger generations. And if such aspirations would have to be realized in the land of the Kafirs, the infidels, then so be it. This phenomenon must have led to the growing unease for far-right elements such as Prime Minister Auburn, who rhetorically quipped back in 2015, and I quote, For example, to arrive from Syria in Hungary, you have to cross four countries, all of which are not rich as Germany, but stable, so they are not running for their lives there already, end of quote. These four countries that Mr. Obama was referring to include Turkey, Armenia, Macedonia, and these are countries with significant Islamic population that these immigrants can be expected to integrate into easily. On the other hand, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates are examples of wealthy Islamic countries that should ordinarily have attracted Muslim immigrants and would probably have no financial qualms doling out public welfare to settlers, just as less prosperous Western countries do. However, the immigrants know the truth that the personal liberty and economic opportunity that are open to all in Western countries simply do not exist in these Islamic states. For instance, since the 70s, children born to foreigners on Saudi soil are not entitled to citizenship unless they could trace any of the paternal lineage to Saudi citizenship. Even if your mother were to be born in Saudi, she must provide evidence of her own paternal lineage upon your attainment of legal age status. This is even more weird, considering that the Islamic holy book, the Al-Quran, Surah Al-Hujurat chapter, verse 10, postulated, and I quote, The believers are but brothers, so make settlement between your brothers, and fear Allah that you may receive mercy, end of quote. But Saudi Arabia, the custodian of the Hadith and Islamic culture, as well as other Islamic governments, do not see things this way. The laws are just too stringent than what is obtainable in Western countries. Similar narratives surround citizenship rights for foreigners in many other Muslim nations. And since many of your rights and privileges are predicated upon your status, you had better consider a country where you and your children will fare better. So what has been the purpose of this museum? It is simply to stimulate some deep reflections among us all, especially in this COVID-19 period, which has shown us that we are all afflicted by the same collective and instinctive desire to live in peace and good health above all things. It is also to lay bare the facts so that we can all make of it what we may. The ability to connect the dots that are scattered across the different species and time zones of the world makes us a better informed citizens and human race at once. That way, we could see beyond the scale of skin color, religion, language and accent, as well as nationality that imperial politics and mutual strife for dominance have given us. When all these labels are stripped away, at the root of it all, we all want the same thing, and we are all the same things, after all, humans. Thank you for joining me on today's edition. As usual, everything on this podcast are my personal opinions. I do not aim to tell you how to think, but I hope to be able to give you things to think about. You can hook me up on social media. My Twitter handle is TheOliSwagger, T-H-E underscore OliSwagger. You can also hit me up on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram ID is OliSwagger. Thank you for joining me. Bye.